Hi everyone, and welcome back to Creator Talks. I'm your host, Christopher Calloway. On today's show, my guest is Dan Panosian. Who is Dan Panosian? Well, Dan has worked for several different publishers. Early in his career, he worked on several titles, including backup stories in Captain America, Batman, Spider-Man, and Thor, until he became a regular anchor on X-Men. He also worked at Extreme Studios with Rob Liefeld, and has done work for Dark Horse Comics, including the first couple of issues of Conan Red Sonja. In fact, you've probably seen a lot of his work on covers for a lot of different publishers, including Marvel, DC, and Dynamite. Now, in this episode, we're going to talk to Dan about his upcoming independent work, Slots, being published by Image Comics, and it's going to debut on October 4th. This is created, written, drawn, colored, all by Dan Panosian. The story is set in one of my favorite parts of the country, one of my favorite places to go, Las Vegas. The central character, Stanley Dance, a former boxer. And if you know anything about Dan's love of boxing, that he was a boxer, that he practices mixed martial arts, well, we're going to talk a bit about his practice of mixed martial arts and boxing before we even get into the book. And then we'll get into some of the details about slots, how I put it all together, what it's all about, without getting into any spoilers, of course, but just to kind of whet your appetite for what's coming your way this October. All right, then, let's get on with our conversation. Dan Panosian on slots and a whole lot more here now on Creator Talks. Welcome to Creator Talks. Thanks. Thanks, Christopher. Appreciate uh, you having me. My pleasure. Excited to talk about slots, and I also want to talk to you about some other things. Um, now, to be honest, Dan, I don't follow boxing, but I can appreciate the martial arts. Um, I've done some training myself, and your father was a boxer. You started at a very young age boxing. You've done taekwondo, jiu-jitsu. So I just wanted to talk a bit about boxing, MMA, martial arts, because you seem to have a wealth of knowledge about it, a lot of experience, and uh, just wanted to kind of get some of your thoughts on it. Oh, great. Well, I love talking about comics, and I love talking about MMA, and <laughs> I don't know. It's tough to decide which I like more, but it, it, to have a comic book like this is a lot of fun for me because I get to merge the two. To start out with your martial arts training, you I read that you used to participate in these tough man tournaments for fun. Well, I mean, it wasn't like a lot of them, let's put it that way. I grew up in Florida. I was born in Cleveland, but I grew up in Florida. And before they really were doing like the UFC, they had had these ridiculous tough. I mean, I'm sure they still have these things, tough man uh, competitions. But some of these bars are about the size of like a Kmart or a um, you know small grocery store in Florida, and they would put a ring in the middle of it, and you could sign up, and two imbeciles, one like myself, and another imbecile would get in there and just battle it out uh, for the amusement of everybody there, and they would have like almost like you know almost like high school seating in there. So it'd be stacked. And it was, it was interesting. I had a real chip on my shoulder as far as uh, like growing up with a dad like I had. So for whatever reason, I thought that was a good idea. <laughs> now, was there a prize for the winner? Uh, yeah, I think it was usually like drink certificates, something like that. Not, no, I didn't care. I think the prize is not important no. at all. I just wanted to get in there and see how I did. Because I've been boxing since I was like a little kid, like six, I guess. But usually, now here's the sad part, is that it was at a bar, and so everyone would be drinking for the most part. So I'd usually have had a few drinks 
Which, as you know, not a good idea to get into a, a fight because you're really, your reflexes are really slowed down. You might feel like you're uh, invincible, but you're, you're not. A lot of times there was like a local boxing school in uh, Fort Lauderdale and they would, they would just have, they would just be there waiting for, for uh, dumbbells to get into the ring so they could basically practice on them. You know, it's like an amateur boxing match for them. It was fun. Um, I did that. And then while I was in high school, I took taekwondo and we did, uh, I went to the nationals one year. I would have taken first place, but because of all my, my boxing training, there's strange, there are strange rules in these competitions where you could, you could kick to the body into the head and you could punch to the body, but you were, you were not allowed to punch to the head. So, um, inevitably I, I, I got disqualified in my final match because I just instinctually would, would see an opening and punch to the head. So I, uh, I got disqualified and that guy went on to, to win that competition. That was the last one I ever did, but I, I was, ha- I was, I was still proud of myself. I, you know, to, to go that far, I was happy about it. I felt bad uh, for the other guy and the other guy was, you know, that's the spirit of martial arts and a lot of these things are, it's, there's. It's, you know, it's not like Karate Kid where there's the, the mean people generally. And I'm sure there are. I just, I never encountered that anytime I took classes or was involved in that stuff. The guy was very nice about it. He wasn't like, now now I'm going to get you and I'm going to, you know, put a dim mock on you. <laughs> or, <laughs> you know, I think yeah, understood. You know, you're a little excited in there. I think I was like 17 or something, you know, with your adrenaline going. But And then when I was little, I took, um, it, it wasn't Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, it's Japanese Jiu-Jitsu. It's a lot different, honestly, than Brazilian jiu-jitsu. It's more stuff on the feet and like hand peels and wrist locks that are all from a standing position. There is, there wasn't, at least I don't remember, I was so young, I don't remember a whole lot of um, like ground game at all. I remember we learned how to take falls if we, if we got on the ground, but it was mostly like, hey, someone's choking you and you peel their hands off in this way and kind of submit them from a standing position. How about you? What did, what did you... Uh, I spent about 10 years training in Okinawan uh, martial arts, Gojiru. Oh, wow. That's, oh, that's, that's great. There's a lot of MMA guys that that's their base. It makes a lot of sense because uh, our instructor said that most fights wind up on the ground. That particular art uh, has a grappling component to it. And you do learn, like you said, the hand peels, arm bars, takedowns. And we had to get good at taking people down and, and grappling from the ground. I mean, I went in there with the idea of learning how to punch and kick, but it's not Shotokan. And, um, you know, what I learned was that we learned about the culture, too. And mm-hmm. when karate was taken to Japan by Funakoshi, he did not include the uh, grappling portion of it, the jujitsu oh. portion, because the Japanese already had a grappling art. And it'd be kind of insulting to say, oh, we do it this way. So he just took that out. And so they just thought karate was punches and kicks. But what, the way we learned this particular style is traditional. And you would learn everything, the, the grappling. You'd have supplementary equipment to work on your, your wrists and your shoulders and you know, build up your grip so you can apply some of the techniques. But I started when I was much older. Like I started when I was like 38, which is insane. Oh, wow. <laughs> you're, you're, you know, I, mean, I, was st- I still had plenty of, uh, of energy left, a, a pretty good bit for my age. But still, it was like as I progressed through that and got older, it's like, oh, ouch. Oh, this is going to take a while to heal. <laughs> you, know, you can't yeah. just like bounce back. That's funny. Uh-huh. And every, interesting. And everyone was it was it was an educational experience. Everyone worked together. There was no one with a, a bad attitude because you wouldn't be a student in the school if you had a bad attitude. You know, it, your character uh-huh. was very important too. So, 
and we were all around the same age. So we were all like, yeah, I got to get up and work tomorrow. And, uh, you know, I want to make sure I can keep doing this for a long time. So yeah, I'd love to get back into it. I think I'd, I'd take um, jujitsu at this point. I'm definitely going to I have a three year old son and I'm, he's going to start wrestling and do jujitsu. I think that's the very best uh, base. As much as I love boxing, like you said, fights generally land up on the ground. I mean, they start on the feet. That's, that's like boxers always come back. Well, no fight starts on the ground. You start on your feet. But it is so easy to take somebody down and just shoot a double leg and that's it. And, you know, most people aren't, aren't expecting that. They, they don't know how to defend against it. They don't know how to sprawl. It's just, it's just not something people practice. So It's interesting because unless you've done it and you've trained and fought, it's not pretty like TV. It's not like beautifully choreographed. No, sometimes you just slide into something and it works. And it shouldn't last too long. You know, you, no. you know, it should not go on. It's not a battle of attrition. You don't want to do that. You want to get it over with. <laughs> no, you could have somebody <laughs> kicking you and their buddy or something. That's right. Yes, yeah, it's, it's what, what it, I did find interesting because I knew this was the way fighting was going when I saw the first UFC. Um, I was like, oh, this is, you know, you see Hoist Gracie, um, this kind of, he's basically Clark Kent without the muscles taking on all these guys that look like, you know, a lot of trouble big fellows, you know, and he was submitting them and, and, and everything. So, I was like, wow, that that game's changing. But it's it, like you said, it was it was rough. It was it, it wasn't pretty. And I was like, how is that going to translate into film? Because eventually, some of these crazy martial arts films, people are going to go, eh, that's more fake than I ever thought. You know that it's not going to fly. So mm-hmm. I think they did a great job in films like The Born Identity and the first one. And there's been different films where they where they approach it. And now even like in the Marvel movies, you know, they'll show like the Scarlett Johansson character going, well, look, here's, here's how this woman is going to defeat this, this guy who outweighs her by about 75 pounds, mm-hmm. you know, by doing an arm bar or, a, you know, it's great. The choreography is, you know, kind of matched what's currently, I guess, in vogue, but it's the most practical, it's the most practical thing. It's not just in vogue. I don't think it's, it's going away. No, I was, I was blown away when I saw uh, winter soldier and that opening uh, with cap and Batroc fighting, you know, even though it was, it was very quick and it was kind of tough to make some things out, I was like, whoa, okay, <laughs> finally. I mean, that was cool. That was George St. Pierre? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So out of all of your, your matches, does one stand out in particular in your memory? Something that you learned from it? I remember I, one of them felt very much like a Rocky match, but I felt like, like Rocky getting the worst of it. I was a little inebriated and um, this Golden Gloves champ from New York. I didn't, you know, I wouldn't have probably made that decision kind of used my head as a punching bag for a little while until I got him up against the ropes. But then as soon as we got broken up and put in the center of the ring again, I didn't do so hot. Let's just say it didn't end well for me. Mm. So that one kind of stands out in my mind. And I just said, you know what? That's the end of this. Yeah. <laughs> and I think I was working for Marvel at the time. So you wanted to keep working. <laughs> yeah. I was like, and my dad would, my dad did not want me boxing. Even the, the martial arts instructor, the Taekwondo guy was a former golden gloves guy. And he was like, you know what, we should skip this Taekwondo and just do Golden Gloves with you. And kept talking to my father about doing that. And my dad was like very, very against it. You know, I just, I, I wanted to, I had an interesting relationship with my dad. So I, so I wanted, I was always wanting to prove things to the guy. And I think at that point I was like, you know what, I, I'm, I'm good. And I'm, I'm, I'm loving working for Marvel <laughs> Comics. This is ridiculous. You know, I don't know what this, uh, with this proves to me. So uh, that, it was, it was a good experience overall. I was a real kind of a wild kid growing up, mostly in my high school years. And I got a lot of that stuff out of my system, which I'm very happy about. 
I was very fortunate. I had one really sweet girlfriend in my life who kept making me examine some of the choices I was making in a, in a very, very intelligent way. She'd introduced like, let's think about this. And, you know, it forced me to really sit down and reflect upon it instead of someone just telling me I'm being a jerk or whatever other horrible adjective you want to use. And then oddly enough, there was a priest who had me come in all the time and, I, and talk with me and uh, go with, so it was almost like going to therapy. I used to go, I go, is this therapy? He goes, well, call it whatever you want, but I'd like to see you next week. You know, and that guy really, that guy really helped. I'm not a religious guy, but I was pretty religious back then. And that, that really helped me out. He really, his name is Father Leo. Okay. Those two things really straightened out my life. And I stopped looking for fights. And But I did love comic books. So I had that mentality of like, I'm not going to go out and start a fight or anything like that. But if someone else is being a jerk, I have to say something or do something, you know. And if you're looking for trouble, you can always find it. And sometimes you can kind of force it a little bit. And that's a, it's a horrible way to be. Do you still actively train? I do. I, I box uh, mostly, and but I incorporate some elbows and knees into the, into some of the training. I'd like to do some grappling, but I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little older, and I'm like, man, that's a that looks, that's a whole different thing. I have to get involved in that. I don't know. I don't. I mean, it sounds a little cliche, but I'm like, I don't know about the whole idea about. Rolling around with another guy sweating on top of me, <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? It'd be good to learn. I'm, I, I'll probably get involved with it when my son my son starts taking yeah. class. So I'll, I'll like to, I'd want to know what he's going to be doing to me when he turns seventeen and wants the keys <laughs> to the car. You know, it's funny. I learned about the uh, the grappling and on the ground, and I was showing my wife. I said, "Now look, now." Now, this is how you're supposed to do it. You get like really close and you don't care about the sweat and you just kind of inch your way up on the person's body. And she's like, stop, you're creeping me out. Because I was yeah. like, slithering up. <laughs> but you have, to get exactly. beyond, you have to get beyond that though. I mean, that's I know. one thing I've taken away from it. If I'm out in the yard doing stuff and I'm like, I hate being out in the yard. I hate being dirty. Once I get sweaty, you know, I don't care. I'm just like tearing into things. And I'll be out there for like four or five hours. Just, you know, I, I just, I get beyond the un- discomfort. Mm-hmm. And, and you have to do that in martial arts because when you're wearing these like canvas geese and it's you know 80 degree in the dojo and you're sliding around in sweat, you just after a while you're just like yeah, well, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you're out. selling it to me though, <laughs> Chris, but <laughs> we'll see. I just don't want my son beating the crap out of me when when he gets a little older. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I understand. I understand. Yeah, because my son loves to wrestle, so I could oh, be, I could be so in does, trouble. <laughs> So does mine. We're wrestling all the time, and he's already, he's only three. He's got a vicious um, he's got a vicious elbow. I I, mm. I was watching this. I don't know. Are you a fan of Anderson Silva? No, I I don't follow it. Oh my god, you'd love to watch this guy because you know, like like you said, these when you watch a UFC match or any MMA, there's there's some beautiful stuff that happens, mm-hmm. but in, in general, it's very practical fighting. So all these fancy uh, spinning moves and all they're they're. They don't often work, you know. So if you don't have that that's that spinning kick timed, you're just going to catch air, you know, or you'll catch their elbow or or their hip or something, as opposed to like a brilliant knockout. But this guy Anderson Silva was one of the first guys to really incorporate some relatively like fancy techniques into the fights, and he had such good timing and he was so gifted that he could he could pull off some of these moves and they're spectacular. So one of his early fights, he did a spinning elbow, but it's a unique one because it came from underneath, almost like an uppercut, mm. and knocked this guy out. And my son seems to have, uh, <laughs> he seems to have mastered it. He's constantly <laughs> doing it to me. 
<laughs> Have you applied any of your training to your everyday life? Not physically, but just what you've learned from it mentally and how it toughened you mentally. Uh, you know, I, I wish I could say, yeah, I, I, nothing's like ringing, ringing a bell, so to speak. I would think your training would help since you had to be somewhat of a student of anatomy to understand joint locks oh. and such. Did it really help you with your art as well? You know, I, I, I mean, it certainly helped me with the comic book slots and it helped me with when I'm drawing fight scenes, mm-hmm. you know, I, th- I, you know, I always have characters if they're trained to fight, they have their hands up. It's not like a movie and I want them for the most part throwing punches like they would in a real bout of some kind, as opposed to some of these wild arm punches you see, or, you know, you see the other guy defending and his, his jaws right out there for the taking. My dad was also an artist and he started out as a letterer uh, or a sign painter in his, his, uh, and from there, he really taught me about making deadlines. Now, I haven't made all of them. Like your last interview with Jim, Jim Zub, I did the Conan Red Sonium. It was a disaster. But it's it's heartbreaking not for me not to make a deadline. And usually when I, I say I'm going to get work done, I, I get it done. So I have that kind of instilled in me. And, you know, martial arts training is, is very specific. I didn't do much of it beyond beyond high school. But my dad would train martial arts up until the day he died. He was He would combine his martial arts with boxing. He loved both of them. So we had a whole little routine. We had a punching bag in the garage, and he would, for about 45 minutes to an hour, he would just do uh, karate, and then he would do, or I guess it was the Japanese jiu-jitsu, and then another 45 minutes of boxing. So my whole life was uh, growing up with those two things. Drawing, he loved comic books, so <laughs> it's interesting. I, every, everything in my life is because of that, that man. Well, I found it interesting just doing some research on this, that at a young age you would ask readers of Dungeons and Dragons magazines to send you characters to draw. And I thought, wow, that's really interesting. That's like tied into your MMA and boxing. Like you would size up someone's profile to figure out how to defend yourself and attack them. And at the same way, you're kind of saying, send me something to draw. Just throw something at me and I'll see what I can do with it. <laughs> it was more than that. I I, um, I started playing Dungeons and Dragons pretty young, around 13 or 14. And this, those modules, the, the game, the game books and all the books themselves were real expensive. And I couldn't afford them, so my mother was like, well, you better get a job. And, you know, she was like, what if you took an ad out, and it was Dragon Magazine at the time, and you asked someone to send you in a self-addressed envelope, and you would send them back basically a character sheet. And I had created a, um, a silhouette outline, like a dotted outline, in the, and a description. You could describe what your character was like and some of their attributes, and I would draw them. So I, I made some money from doing yard work, I, I paid for an ad in the back of Dragon Magazine, and I went from there. So it was great. It taught me how to really, really draw. It taught me how to be responsible to to people, you know, because they would be sitting there waiting. You know, they want to wait like six weeks to get one drawing. But, I, I you know, every day I'd come home from school, and I had to draw a few of these or at least one or two. It was it was a good base. It was fun. <laughs> I, was, I was lucky. I'm amazed you submitted work to Marvel at 14 years of age. Yeah, I was wow. crazy about Marvel. They had a Marvel tryout book, mm-hmm. and it was John Romita Jr. did all these penciling a Spider-Man story, and then you could finish certain parts. So I sent, I, th- I think I sent in some penciling samples. You know, obviously they must have been terrible. I have them somewhere. I think it was uh, Namor. I was like, well, what can I do where there's no backgrounds? Oh, it'll be uh, Submariner. <laughs> I'll draw a few <laughs> seashells in the background, maybe a shark. <laughs> but yeah, I, I inked some samples over Ramita, and they sent me back letters saying, I think they thought I was much older than I was, so I got a 
whole bunch of paperwork back saying, this is how much you can expect to make. Here's the insurance policy we offer. Here's some of the other, it was, it was a whole package of things. They took it very seriously and I was blown away. And I wrote the, um, the editor a, a thank you, the submissions guy. And years later, when I went to the Marvel Comics for the first time, um, they said, hey, there's an editor looking for you. And sure enough, it was that editor. And now he was a series editor. And he had that thank you drawing of Spider-Man I had up in his office. <laughs> wow. So, of course, this guy, is, <laughs> this guy gave me some of my very first work while I was there. Uh, it was, but you know what? It was, a, it was a blessing and a curse because when I got that information, I was like, I'm set. You know, to, mm. to hell with school. Who needs, <laughs> who needs school? I, I got a job with Marvel Comics, and this, they told me how much money I could be making. I'll be making more money than, you know, my, my father. And I was like, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if that was a good thing for a 14-year-old to, to hear because I went from being like an honor roll student to just like not care. I don't even know how I graduated, honestly. It was, it was terrible. Well, you're entering the comics besides, you know, the story you just told us about submitting uh, art when you're 14. I mean, you worked for Continuity Studios, I mean, because Neil Adams looked at your work. Yeah, I, I met him the very first convention I went to in New York City. It was, it was these Greenberg shows, and they were held across the street from Madison Square Gardens. And he, for whatever reason, uh, hired, hired me the day I met him, and I got to work with him pretty much daily. He would redraw everything that I I did and show me all the mistakes and believe me, there were a lot of them, but he was very generous with his time and, and showing me things. So it was, uh, it was real lucky. And what was interesting is he had done a lot of commercial artwork. So my dad was familiar with his name. So when I told my dad, Hey, I'm working with Neil Adams, he was, he was really impressed. And one of my first comic books was a uh, Neil Adams comic book. Um, it was that Batman. I was the Joker holding that, um, the playing card with Batman, you know, strapped to it, mm -hmm. which is a famous cover of his. And that was the first Batman comic. I think it was probably seven. But yeah, it made it. It made a real impression. But it was, I was a little starstruck, and it didn't sink in as much as I would have liked it to. But to this day, I still remember things. He's, he's, he kind of taught me. And while I'm drawing something, I'm remembering, you know, why he used the approach he does. And, uh, it's invaluable information. Did your experience working with him help you be prepared to do work for storyboards and advertising? Because Neil's done a lot of that too. He, he has, but what he had me doing was he was publishing a line of comic books then to kind of support his clients because his clients all knew him from, they grew up also with his work. Oddly enough, he's not an old guy, but he's just fairly prolific and he started very, very young. He's a prodigy, but he knew that for his advertising firm to continue at the success rate he had, he needed to stay active in comic books. And I think he was sick of Marvel and DC at the time, so he was publishing his own. And he had me inking some of the guys, and he wanted everyone drawing in kind of a house style, which was the Neil style. I had learned how to ink like Jeff D from Dungeons and Dragons and Terry Austin. Those were my go-to guys, even though I was looking at John Buscema and Tony DeZugna doing Savage Sword of Conan. Mm -hmm. That would kind of, all that work would kind of sink into what I do presently, but but then I was I was desperately trying to be Terry Austin, which didn't quite gel with what Neil was doing because he has a very realistic approach, and Terry is Austin is as you know it's a more stylized ink line. So I was mostly inking comics. I, I wish I, I saw what I did see was like oh they're working on a um, a Winston ad or they're working on for doing some Camel cigarette stuff or or they, I mean they had all sorts of big clients. So see how they, they operated. But I'd seen the same thing with my dad's uh, advertising agency, but just on a very 
much, much smaller level. Now, which uh, books did you ink for Neil? I think there's one called Earth Four. Yes. Okay. And, and then, and Ron Ron Wilson penciled that in a Neil Adams style. And uh, there's a few a few other ones. I mean, there was there was a lot of different books. And and I was I wasn't like name at all. He just attached me to whatever whatever needed some help. And then, and it was more it was more work for him. It was more work for him than it was for me because <laughs> he, he, would, he would literally white out everything I did. I'd turn in my work and then I'd come back the next day and everything I did was was redrawn. Reinked. Uh, so it was more of an education. It was more of an education. It was a free. It was like going to the Cubert Art School for, and getting paid to do it. I, I quickly was starting to get work more and more work for Marvel, and that took over. Okay. And that was my end goal. My my goal was like I want to be on the X Men. That's that's where I, that's what I wanted to do. So every step that took me closer to that was where I was headed. And was Walt Simonson instrumental in helping you get into Marvel? Yeah, I I met him, exceptionally friendly guy. I, I know Walt and I see him at the shows and we're friendly. I wish I was like, Walt's my buddy, you know, and I call him up and I emailed him the other day. But I, he's just a genuinely nice guy and so is his wife, Louise. And he's just a kind person and he saw my work and he liked it enough at that very same show where I met Neil. And he said, well, I'm going to give my editor a phone call, Ralph Macchio, and, and see what I can do for you. And... He called him, and I, I started working on backups right away. And I didn't see Walt until like years later, and thanked him. Um, and I've seen him. You know, I'm always very thankful every time I see the guy. Plus, I loved his work. That Thor work he did just mm. blew my mind. And before that, I, I had collected some Metal Men. And once again, this was a comic book my my dad had picked out, Metal Men, um, because he loved the artwork that Walt did. Walt would incorporate a lot of typography into his his artwork, which you know, not every artists did at the time some of them did guys got like guys like will eisner mm -hmm. would incorporate like the story title into the, the front page and you know it'd be part of the building or the plumbing or the stairs that the spirit would be walking up and stuff that was very innovative and walt made it a point to incorporate a lot of typography into his work my dad liked that not only that it was it looked different from everybody else's comic book work i mean he's very daring i mean there's there's, you know, there's, there's, those were the guys that just took to their own path, which you rarely see now with Marvel or DC. You see it more in the indie comics, and there's some very talented, talented people that are just like, wow, they're just, it's a whole different approach to drawing that I've never seen before. And Walt, Walt was like that. Yes. So. Yeah, Walt was that way. Sienkiewicz was that way. They stood out from everybody else. Now, you also worked with uh, Extreme Studios with Rob Liefeld. What's your fondest memory of that time? That was a great, great time. Rob was very, very generous. I was working with Mark Silvestri on Cyberforce, and I was going to end up working for Homage Studios over there. Jim Lee had Scott Williams, and Scott was inking uh, Mark also, but you know he they just were doing so much work he, he couldn't continue to do it. So I I inked uh, Cyberforce number three, and they wanted to keep me on. And but Rob made me this offer. Rob was like, "Oh, come down," because I had inked some X Force for him at at, at Marvel. He's like, "Come down. I want you to see the studio." And I saw the studio, and those guys were just having having a blast. I, Rob put me up at his house. You know, he slept he slept on the couch, and I had his bed his bedroom. I mean, he'd never met me before. He's just really nice about it. And then they offered me to pencil and ink profit, and I had a little bit of penciling experience. I'd done some backups for Marvel comics. Is that was always my goal. I thought I'd, I'd ink most of the comic books, but I would kind of work my way into penciling and inking. There's fans of Profit, and 
but I think most people would agree it's it's not great great work. But Rob was kind enough to um, offer that to me for whatever reason, and it really helped me to establish myself that way and get better. And also, just everybody there—they're all young young guys, and they're all super hungry and. It was a great, great time. I moved out to California from Florida and New York. <laughs> it, was just, it was like one fun adventure after another for a, for a young guy. I really thought Cal, I thought L.A. would be a lot different. I got to be honest. I grew up watching a, a TV show, Chips, which you probably saw too. Yes, yes. And, it, <laughs> and in my mind, going from Florida to New York was enough of the system shock. Seeing all those buildings in Florida, where I grew up, if a building had it was four stories. It was you know, wow, look at that. <laughs> You know, and then New York, I had, I've never had a migraine since I've never had, you know, had one before. And I, the day I got to New York, I had a migraine headache. i never even knew what that meant. I was like, migraine headache. I've had headaches. Maybe it's just a bad headache, but a migraine headache is, is almost like debilitating. You, you're, you're almost just, you can't do anything, but I got over it quickly and adapted. But I thought Los Angeles based on chips would be New York city with palm trees and a beach. <laughs> it's nothing like that at all. Los Angeles looks like any city in Italy, for the most part. Now it's changing a little bit, but it, it just looks like a regular place, and it's just so spread out. And there's all these different neighborhoods, and I was I was really disappointed. Hollywood is still kind of junky, and it's like growing up in Florida, you have Disney World, which just looks like something out of your imagination. It doesn't doesn't even look real. I go, well, it's Hollywood. It's got to look at least that good, and that's it's that's you know, horrible looking. <laughs> Hollywood Boulevard is terrible looking. Sunset Boulevard, for the most part, is terrible looking. I, I'm going to get my key to the city revoked here. <laughs> well, one place that is not terrible looking to me, and it's where Slots takes place, is Las Vegas. Oh, yeah. Which brings us to Slots, which is set in one of my favorite places in the country, someplace I go to every year or two. Awesome. And, and you nailed the look. I mean, I just so much enjoyed reading the first issue because of the way you captured Everything about it, your art style, Zipatone art style, and the cityscape, you've, got, it's, you've been there, clearly. I mean, nothing's like made up. I love Las Vegas, too. And it's also the fight capital of the world. Coincidentally, that more ties into the fact that the main character, Stanley Dance, is very superstitious. And I thought, what's the best slash worst place for a very superstitious person? It's got to be Las Vegas because everything is luck-based and all the gambling. But, yeah, I spent a lot of time in the Fremont area. Uh, downtown Las Vegas, which has a whole different feel. I don't know if you've been there too often. Yes, I've been there a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's a different vibe. It's like time stopped there. Now there's just so much money in Las Vegas that even Fremont is changing. It looks great. There's still parts of downtown that are a little sketchy and have a good vibe <laughs> to them. And that's where this character feels mo- most comfortable. You know, just an aside, uh, I've been to Fremont Street a couple of times and uh, usually would stay at Main Street Station, which is a hotel very close to it. Uh, in fact, the first time I went there, I stayed in, at Binion's, which no longer has rooms available. Uh, it's a casino, um, and it has a single pane of glass. So you could hear the Fremont experience all night while you're trying to oh, sleep. Wow. I hear Freebird at 2 in the morning. I'm like, ah. <laughs> but one time I said to my wife, I said, oh, let's, uh, let's walk down to the Strip. She goes, you want to mm-hmm. walk? I'm like, yeah, let's walk. So we walked from Fremont to the Strip. Oh, that's a long walk. We thought we were going to die. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> we were so scared. <laughs> it never yeah. walked so fast. Yeah, yeah, there's some interesting neighborhoods in between. Yeah, yeah. I think it was like four miles or something, and I was like, oh, uh, what am I doing? Uh, yeah. But anyway, um, back to slots. 
Yeah, I mean, it's about uh, Stanley Dance, a 54-year-old boxer. He's back in Vegas. He's burned some bridges there. I mean, he has a history, but he's there to help out an old girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And in this book, there's really no heroes. I mean, everyone has their flaws. Stanley, for sure. What else should we know about Stanley when we read slots? He thinks he has great luck. He really has terrible luck. For the most part, he works with it, and he just he tries to be a little bit oblivious to it. And he's definitely in a world of his own making, which is interesting for a guy like him. It, you know, like you said, there's no hero, there's no real heroes in this. In retrospect, looking back, I'm like, wow. There's you look at comic books, and it's either superheroes or it's a fantasy, you know, or there's or there's magic or there's monsters or something. And this book, there's it's more of a straight story. So, I mean, thank goodness for books like Southern Bastard and Hundred Bullets uh, having some success. You know, looking at that, I was like, maybe, uh, maybe someone should have superpowers. Just kidding, of course. But, <laughs> but you know, even Sin City, which there's nobody with superpowers. Those characters that Frank Miller developed, I mean, they look surreal. They're not, you know, they're they're almost like circus freaks in some some respects. Just because he, he make he makes he has such a unique take on these characters. And then slots really doesn't have that. How's that? How's that for selling my book? That... <laughs> Go out and get it, everybody. I hopefully it is very fun and it has a lot of heart. Hopefully, and uh, people can can relate. I think we can all relate to flawed characters. There's, you know, all of us have flaws, and when we see those flaws represented in in these fictional characters, hopefully there is something there for readers to latch onto. Well, something that it brings out, and it's some of it's just through the character of Stanley. Is there's that old Vegas feeling? even though it's still taking place in modern Vegas. It has a blend of the two. That was the pitch. Old Vegas meets New Vegas. This guy who's run out of town, and he's past his prime. He's one of those guys who, every time in life, the angel's on your shoulder and the devil's on your shoulder, and you have a choice to make. He listened to the devil and brushed the angel off. And we all wonder, like, well, what would have happened if I was a little bit more selfish here and I made this choice or I made that choice? You know, and most of us make the right choices. We're like, that's not practical, and that's going to lead to this and that, or it might be fun for a little while, but but then what? Stanley always made the selfish choice, and now he's he's older. You know, he can't. You know, he's too old for boxing, and with boxing, he would just throw fights anyhow for the betting aspect, the gambling aspect of it. And you know, he's had just about every odd job, but after a while, you just you just can't maintain that anymore. So his his luck and his According to him, had run out, and he was ready to end his end his life. And he gets, like you said, he gets a text message from a girlfriend because he's so superstitious. Uh, you know, a pigeon could have flown by and you know crapped on him or something, and that would have been enough to make him change his mind. He was looking for an out anyhow, so he changes his mind. He's, he's going to go back and he's going to right all his wrongs and try to be a hero. Unfortunately, he has zero experience being a hero or a good guy, so he's got some roadblocks ahead of him that he has to get past or not he might not get past them and you've spent a couple of years working on this book and you've approached it in somewhat of a marvel method that you would kind of plot everything out lay it out and then go back and work on the details yeah then i would script it i've scripted it later and i got out of comic books mid 90s i stopped doing comic books and i got into advertising and then i got back into comic books around 2003, I think, or four, maybe no, it was 2005. So I still have a lot of advertising clients back and forth. So so while I've been doing this, I I do advertising and I do covers for Marvel uh, and DC. I got, I did, I think I did Conan while doing this or something, something close, but it's been a long process. 
And is this uh, is like the culmination of like all of your loves, Vegas, the boxing. Yeah, the MMA. Yeah, and his son kind of represents where Vegas is now. His son is a mixed martial artist, and they're estranged. Stanley has Stanley never raised this kid, and of course, you know, a situation like that, the kid's going to hate him. He wants to have a good relationship with his son that he's never had a relationship with. Who really had to grow up the hard way? Now, this book's a fairly heavy lift for you because you're doing everything. You know, the story, the art, the color, everything. Is this something you would like to continue doing? Um, besides, not oh, just yeah. this series, but like your own projects from here on out, outside of covers and commercial work. I definitely, if I do, I plan on doing more comic book work when this is wrapped up. I just want to write and draw my own stuff. That's all. That's all I've ever wanted to do in comic books. My favorites were like Walt Simonson, who wrote and drew Thor, and John Byrne and uh, Frank Miller. Those guys were my heroes. And I was like, I want to do my own stories. I want to write my own, my own work. And I've had so much fun working on this. I think I'm spoiled. I, if I got a script before and it had a 16 panel page, I think I'd you know, drive out and strangle the writer. <laughs> you know, like, what are you thinking? Do you know how hard that is? Right. But, but for whatever reason, I'll write myself a 16 panel page and I'm thrilled. I'm delighted the whole time I'm drawing it. I, I don't know what it is about this book, but I'm having a blast. So hopefully I can continue doing something like slots or I have a, I have a bunch of other ideas I'd like to get going on. So I'm going to cross my fingers here. Well, this comes out October 1st. That's when the, I'm sorry, October 4th. Yes. October 4th is the first issue coming out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's all wrapped up. Slots is, is done. I think there's nine pages left of number six. Oh, wow. All right. So it's all finished. It's all written and ready to go. Well, I'm looking forward to it because it, as soon as I saw there's a book about Vegas and fights in Vegas and had that old Vegas feel to it, something I'm always kind of looking and trying to get out of Vegas when I go out there, get that old Vegas feel somewhere, somehow there. Yeah, you want a little Sinatra in there? Just a little. Dean Martin. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but this, I was like, oh, I'm all over this. This is on my list. You know, even if we didn't have a conversation, this was definitely no question. Really? Oh, absolutely. I appreciate absolutely. that. Absolutely. No, it caught my eye, and I was like, no, nope, I definitely, that's perfect. <laughs> perfect. Oh, that's awesome. Well, that uh, makes me happy to hear. Thank you. I just have a few questions I ask all my guests. Okay. Uh, first question, simple question. What do you like to do for rest and relaxation when you're not working on your books or, or training? Uh, I love playing with my kid. I am crazy about this little guy. My dad, I keep coming back to my father. This is like therapy. Your father, Leo, right now. Okay. Um, <laughs> yes, my son. But I had a great relationship with my dad growing up. He was really good with young kids, but he wasn't so great with teenagers. So I want to ensure that I have a good relationship with him now and when he gets older. So I'm just crazy about my son. We, I, any chance we get, I'm just goofing around and playing with him. And he's got a great sense of humor, so... <laughs> he's he's a lot of fun. He's a lot of energy too. Oh my God, this kid never never stops. But that's I guess that's my hobby. Uh, that and you know I you know comic books. I really uh, I really love comic books and all all art. I'm always browsing the internet for um, you know examine different styles. Your rest and relaxation. That's uh, a very good point because that's something I've tried to spend more time focusing on with the podcast, with work, and everything else going on in life. I'm trying mm-hmm. to carve out a little time to spend with my son to either play or read to him. Oh, that's great. Yeah, reading is great. It goes a long way. It goes a long – I see a difference in his behavior when I, I'll spend every night maybe like 15, 20 minutes just reading something. How old is he? He uh, just turned six. Oh, that's a great age. Yep. 
and he's very curious about everything. We, you know, I'll read him a comic and he'll ask questions about the characters, and then we'll go off into a topic about something else. And right now he's into the planets because we were reading some Jack Kirby stuff and about dinosaurs, Ooh. and he just wanted to know more about history and then about the formation of the Earth. So we've gone down that road now. That's what I was going to ask you. Like, what type of comic books do you read them or read with them? I try to find stuff that's usually older that I have in my collection, like uh, Thor versus the Hulk, Iron Man fighting Thor, stuff from like the 60s and 70s, where it's a little Great. easier for him to follow along to. It's just kind of like a battle book, because I think that appeals to him more right now. Mm-hmm. Um, if I read anything too contemporary, it's a little tougher, unless it's written for kids. Um, but otherwise, yeah. it's a little, little tough for him to kind of stay engaged, unless it's something. And I'll usually read maybe half. And mm-hmm. then we'll do something else like look on the internet at some planet pictures and some stuff about outer space. And Way to tie those things in. I, I guess I was just lucky and he just seemed to have a real burning interest and he wants to, to cover both that night. He wants to read the comic and then he wants to go and look at some stuff about science, especially the planets. And I'm like, all right. That's oh, what, what we'll a great do. kid. So, it, yeah, and he's, he's full of energy too. And the oh. other child that I have in the house is one. So now <laughs> they're two brothers. <laughs> Sorry. Well, yeah. I, <laughs> that's a lot of work. <laughs> well, my I, wife wants another one, and I'm like, I don't know. We might be one and done. I don't know if I could take it. Like I said, I am nuts about this kid, but I don't know. Of course, she'll, the wife always wins, so there'll be another one, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Well, I have three. Like my daughter, she's out of the house. She's older. She's, you know, off working out of school. So she's. I, I don't count that because she's an adult. You know, she's got her own uh-huh. life, and I'm always here for her, but, you know, she's. I don't have to, like, take care of her. She's a, you know, mature mm-hmm. adult. But my boys. Um, one is easy because there's two of you to handle it, um, mm-hmm. and you can go on trips and stuff, and they're fine. But when you have two, the it becomes much more complicated. Although they get along mm-hmm. great. This, yesterday they were playing. I'm gonna have to put this on my Facebook page. They found my lightsabers, so they're both swinging around. Oh my god, they're swinging on lightsabers. <laughs> And the, mm-hmm. the, the one-year-old loves a lightsaber. Of course. Although he keeps grabbing it by the blade, and I say, I lose more kids that way. You know, son, hold the handle. <laughs> it's funny. My son just got a lightsaber. My wife, she liked comic books. I, I have this this wonderful wife who I didn't meet at a convention or anything like that, but she just she grew up reading comic books also. Oh, wow. And and uh, she's she's awesome. So she'll always come back with you know cool stuff like that for him, like lightsabers. And yesterday she just bought an R2-D2 robot for him and she's always buying him dinosaurs so that's really she, nice it's cool yeah oh you know i'm glad you brought that up because um i read one of your blogs that you wrote a couple of years ago about accepting criticism and feedback about your work so that you mm-hmm. get better and it's funny because i always have my wife read my stuff before i publish it up i'm writing for a newspaper or something or listen to something because she knows nothing about it mm-hmm. and I, I like to get somebody's opinion that knows nothing about what i'm writing so does this make any sense to you so, uh, yeah, she's, um, she's not in the comics, but she uh-huh. doesn't know how to, you know, does something make sense? Does it flow? Well, I think that's very important. I mean, it's the same thing with artwork. My wife's not an artist, but um, she'll certainly tell me when something's wrong. And I also, I'm friends with uh, Dave Johnson, and Dave has a great eye for artwork. You just look at his, his covers and you can see that. And we will send stuff back and forth to each other, and he doesn't pull any punches. If you meet Dave Johnson at a convention... And you show them your work, be prepared, because you'll definitely learn what's what's good and what's and what's bad about it. But he'll he'll point things out to me, and it's invaluable to to hear that information. I wasn't always that way, uh, but I've learned over the years. And listen, if somebody has a problem with it, even if it's minor, even if you don't agree with it, there's something to that, and it's worth looking at. It's in, it's important. 
Yeah, I used to tense up and try to defend what I did. Well, you know, what I'm trying to do is now it's like, look, just shut up, man. Just listen. And... <laughs> I have a great one with that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I was I was inking um, I was inking the X Men, and I was doing the Scott Williams uh, inking style, which Scott pulls off great. And there weren't many people. Everybody was trying to ape that style, and the first, the early adopters, I'll say, were Art T. Bear and myself because we just were blown away with what Scott was doing. And then soon everybody was thinking that way. Pencils were changing the way they penciled to a comp, you know, they were incorporating that little Z line, we called it. And everybody was changing the way they did the lighting and how they approached everything. So it went from looking like Joe Sinnott or Joseph Rubenstein to inking the finished look to this very style stylized uh, version of Gil Kane meets Barry Windsor Smith, which was uh, the kind of origin story for that, that inking from Wills Portatio and, and uh, Scott Williams, but it's, it's highly stylized. And so I'm, I'm inking, a, I'm inking something or I was doing finishes, I think on somebody's work in it. And my dad took a look at it and he goes, why does this character have all the, all this stitching all over his face? <laughs> I gotta tell you, I, I was so angry. It's like, that's not stitching. You don't understand. That's, that's defining the cheekbone. And that's just how people are drawing right now. And that's cool. And, <laughs> you know, it, if someone looks at it and to them, they see stitching, that's not cool. And I'm not, and I'm not doing my job properly. You know, it stuck with me. So, you know, a few hours, I'm still, I'm still stewing with about that a few hours later. And then the next day I'm still thinking about it and it stuck with me and stuck with me and stuck with me. And, you know, when Scott Williams does it, if you blur your eyes a little bit, he's created that, you know, black, gray and white tonal aspect that you need. And all these lines are representative of shadows. And he does, if you're just looking at the surface details and you're trying to replicate that in your work, that's when you're going to start running into problems. And that's what I was running into. And, it, and if it wasn't for my dad goofing on, on the artwork, I, you know, my eyes may have not been opened as quickly as they were or ever. Who knows? Criticism is good, even if it pisses you off <laughs> absolutely <laughs> okay here's another question for you this one's a little more difficult if you were on a deserted island and you only had one book oh what would that be uh dorian gray i love that book that's a great one it's a very interesting study about how people think and what's important i don't know that i always liked uh, tortilla flats um, I don't know if you if you like that one or not. Now that one I haven't read. I've read Dorian Gray, but not the other one. Well, Tortilla Flats is a little bit like Slots in the sense that there are no real heroes in that book. A lot of Steinbeck books are that way. There's no one that go, oh, I want to be that guy. Slots is a little bit like that. I think if the only person someone would go, oh, I could, I guess I could be like his uh, Stanley's son, but even he's flawed. So I really like Tortilla Flats in that way. It's a great, great story and uh, interesting human study. How about you? What's your book? Oh, wow. Um, well, I've, I've answered this on the podcast. Somebody did ask me that question. And I, I, uh, the book of the living and dying. It's oh. a Buddhist philosophy book, and it uh, goes beyond the book of the dead. It kind of gets into practices for your daily living. Uh, so if I'm stuck on an island and I'm trying to get through it mentally, I think I'd be reading that. Jeez, <laughs> yeah, not... I guess that'd be helpful. Yeah, that's <laughs> – I mean there's a lot of great books I want to go back and read again. I could read the complete collection of Sherlock Holmes to kind of pass the time. But if I have to uh, mentally stuck survive – with one. Yeah, and yeah. I, I got to get through it, then that would probably be it because <laughs> if I'm not getting through it, well, at least I'll be prepared. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you all know what to do in the afterlife if there is right. one. <laughs> How about your beverage of choice? Do you have one? 
Oh, uh, an adult beverage of choice or just a beverage of choice? You know, uh, one of each. Not something I think about. You know what I like to do? Sounds a little weird. I take water and I just add like a little bit of lemon juice to it so I can I can get through it. Now I've really because they always go, you need you know twenty glasses of water a day or you know whatever impossible amount that you're supposed to drink. And I just find water a little bit boring, so I started putting lemon juice in it to liven it up a little bit. So now I, now I really love it. Now I can't have water without without lemon juice in it. Drink wise, it'd have to be whiskey or rye, and usually Jack Daniels because growing up in Florida, it's all about you know those kind of iconic tough guy things. It's kind of sad, <laughs> I mean, but <laughs> I definitely fell, fell victim to that. You know, I guess it'd probably be, it'd probably be Jack Daniels. Jack Daniels, you know what tastes really good? Eagle rare. And it's, it's not terribly expensive. It's a little bit more expensive than say Jack Daniels or something like that. But man, that's a, that is a very smooth whiskey. Have to try, it out. try it, try it out. Do you still have drink and draw events? Yeah, we do. It's still, it, we started it. Um, the first drink and draw was Dave Johnson, myself, and Jeff Johnson, and now it takes place at Casey's downtown uh, in in Los Angeles uh, on Grand Street. But now, as you know, there's drink and draws all over the country, all over the world now. So almost every big city has a drink and draw. But I don't get to go out to the drink and draw we started too often because of the baby. And it is downtown, and I live I live in uh, Laurel Canyon, which is near near Sunset. So it's not not terribly close and the aspect of drinking and drawing not terribly great for the driving that's true <laughs> you know, and if i I'm, i don't i don't i don't drink at home i don't uh, the only time i drink is if i'm at a bar but if i'm at if i'm drinking i'm like i don't know i'm going to enjoy myself so I, I the whole thought of having just one drink doesn't really appeal to me so thank God for thank God for Uber, yes, <laughs> you know, because it's just too dangerous. And, Absolutely, oh, yeah. yeah. Too many cars on the road, too dangerous. It's not like the old days where you know you're gonna hit a tree maybe, but now, my God. Yeah, you go. Oh, I'll, I'll take that tree out with my monster truck. <laughs> no, I never had a monster truck. Although I'm surprised I didn't have a monster truck. <laughs> I did have a Bronco though. Oh, all I right. Wanted one of those. I had a list of. <laughs> I had a list of cars, and they're of course all based on like movies I had seen. Like I wanted a '50 Mercury because I saw the movie Cobra when I was young. <laughs> if you watch the movie Cobra now, if you watch the movie Cobra as you know a 12 year old, it's a whole different movie. But to me, it was a very serious movie. Like, oh, this is a good example of of how you want to be as an adult. I want to be Marion Cabretti. And now, if you watch if you watch this movie now, which I saw it a couple of years ago, I'm like, oh my god, this is just this is just like a nonsense fantasy. It's it's one of the most ridiculous movies you can you can watch. Period. But to me, it was almost like a you know a Bible, a how-to book on how to be a uh, an adult. But yeah, he had a 1950 Mercury. I always wanted one of those. I wanted a, a Bronco for some. Oh, you know why? Lone Wolf McQuaid. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> another another fine example of how to be. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Why didn't you watch Bullet or something like that? I did. I, I was, no, I, I have a classic car. I have a, um, I have a 1967 Firebird. Oh, that's been, nice. That's been fully decked out. I bought it for ten grand in '99, and then my friends Dave Johnson and Josh Barnett, and Josh Barnett, the youngest UFC uh, heavyweight champion, when he when he won the title from Randy Couture uh, years and years ago. But he's a Josh is a big uh, comic book fan. I met him through Drink and Draw. 
And Dave Johnson and, and Josh uh, got me on that TV show, Overhauling, with Chip Foos. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, they, I've seen it. Where they, they basically steal your car and, and fix it up for you. So the, the, I, my car was on that show, and <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not my car anymore. It's something else. I mean, it's a magnificent beast that terrifies me. I'm literally scared every single time I, I'm behind the wheel on this thing. It's, it's, it's a, it is a beast. And it's in immaculate condition now. So yeah. unlike a $10,000 older car that you could uh, drive over anything or like, oh, I just opened my door into a tree. So what? You know, this thing, like you very, very got to be extremely careful with it. So it's a little nerve wracking. It's a blessing and a curse. Oh, again, that's, that's great. You keep that in the and, garage, of course. Yeah, of course, it's in the garage. And I, it, was, it was an automatic. And Josh, being a, a car nut, this guy, you know, he races and he changed it into a six-speed. So for Los Angeles, with all the traffic and all the hills, it's a, it's a nightmare. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it is fun. I, when you get to play around in, oh, in, yeah. in, in these little miracle spots where there are no traffic, traffic situations, it is a lot of fun to have a six speed, but in general, Los Angeles, if you move here, do not get a, do not get a stick shift car. <laughs> You're going to hate yourself or at least, at least one of your legs is going to hate you. It, it gets frustrating. It gets very yeah. frustrating trying to drive a stick in heavy traffic like that. Do you have any con appearances planned with uh, you know, family and work and everything? The next one is right when slots debuts and that's the uh, New York comic con at the Javits center. So I'll be there that weekend, the October 4th weekend. And then I plan on hitting a lot of them. So if you got a convention coming up, I, I want to go and I want to support this book and meet fans and, and talk about it with them. Well, great. Well, I look forward to it. October 4th, slots number one. Can't wait to hear what you think. So you, did you read the first issue? I did. Oh, okay. And I loved it. Right. A little surprise ending there. Uh-huh. Won't spoil Definitely. that, but uh, didn't Definitely. see that coming. But uh, things are getting interesting now. So Cool. <laughs> no, I really did enjoy it. <laughs> oh, thanks so much. And thanks and thanks for uh, taking the time on a Sunday to do this with me. Oh, no, my pleasure. And uh been a lot of fun, and I really appreciate you, Dan, being on Creator Talks. Well, I appreciate it being here. Thanks so much, Christopher. Thank you for listening to this episode of Creator Talks. The podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Podbean, and YouTube. If you like what you hear, please rate and review on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't miss a single episode each Thursday. Subscribe, it's free. A new interview will be available each week, and sometimes there'll be a second, maybe even a third interview that week. You can send me feedback and comment on social media. I can be reached at Creator Talks Pod, that's at Creator Talks Pod on Facebook and Twitter. I'm also available on Instagram, Creator Talks Pod. There I will post pictures while I'm on location, as well as my Saturday Silver Age or Older and Sunday Bronze Age Spotlight comics from my personal collection. Don't forget to visit my website, creatortalks.com. There I have listed the latest episode on the homepage, plus a playlist of all the episodes to date that you can listen to online or download. In addition, on the site, I will be posting my recommended reading picks, as well as written interviews with creators. Also on my YouTube channel are video interviews with creators on location at comic conventions and elsewhere. I know you have a lot of entertainment to choose from and a lot of podcasts to choose from as well. And I thank you for making the time to listen to this one. Your best source for comic book writers, artists, and creators. There are more interviews in the works and you never know who it might be. 
It is my distinct honor and privilege to speak to these creators and bring you those interviews each week. I'd like to thank my executive co-producer, who makes this possible, Mrs. Calloway. That's all for now. For Creator Talks, I'm Christopher Calloway. Until next time.